Hello, and welcome to another episode of ABC Gotham. Uh, my name is Kate, and with me, as always, is Kathleen. Hello, everybody. And back from a hiatus, we're bringing you a new topic, and this week's episode is... Isolated. We are going to tell you all about particular areas of New York City that are weirdly isolated from all of the other parts. It's surprising how many there are, actually. Yeah, I, I feel like we could have done, there were several other ones that I just couldn't find enough information on, but areas that I know are pretty isolated, either by train or uh, geographically, or just neighborhoods that you wouldn't normally go to. I, I don't know, yeah. just a, a bit out of the way, but we tried to pick the most isolated neighborhoods we could find. And, and it's so interesting. It's areas you might not have even heard of, and you know, unless you live there, you probably even haven't been there. I know I've been to none of these. Wow. Really? None? I think I've been to... I think to, I've been to none. I think I've been to... I've been to three of them. Wow. Okay. And so maybe, we will maybe talk. as we go, I'll say which one I've been to. Okay. So we are going to tell you about five different areas. We are really giving some love to outer boroughs today that we don't normally <laughs> talk about. We're not talking... Well, we are talking a little bit about Manhattan, but in a weird way. Um, but mostly we're doing a lot of Queens and some Bronx today. Yeah. Yeah. All that all that outer borough neglect we've been guilty of, uh, we're, we're recovered from that now. Yeah. I think this really sets us up good for a while. <laughs> all right. So today's first topic is going to be Meadowmere. It's actually mm -hmm. in Queens, but yeah. barely. Um, the maps show it's part of, um, I guess, I guess I kept reading that it was part of Rosedale, um, but it is its own neighborhood and community. Yeah, this one is tricky and, and I'll go into Rosedale a little bit later because, um, yeah, Meadowmere is, as far as I know, for the most part, a separate independent neighborhood, but on a lot of sources. And if you do searches in, uh, in some particular places, it doesn't show up except as part of Rosedale. So it seems as though it's not clear whether it is separate or whether it is just the southern part of Rosedale. It's the neighborhood that New York forgot. Yes, yes. It is this minuscule patch of Queens. It's southeast of Kennedy Airport, but it is only attached to New York City by a single boulevard. It's just a, a little skinny stripe of New York City that attaches it to the rest of us. Otherwise, it's completely surrounded by Nassau County. And again, you know, sometimes people call it Rosedale. So before we talk about Meadowmere a little bit more, I want to do a very quick overview of what I mean by Nassau County for non-New Yorkers or new New Yorkers. I know I didn't know this when I first came here, but it has to do with Long Island and New York City and the border and in between the two. So... Uh, the counties that make up New York City are Manhattan, Queens, and the Bronx. Kings County is Brooklyn, and Richmond County is Staten Island. Long Island is a huge landmass, and that extends way east from the city and includes things you might have heard of, like Levittown and Amityville and the Hamptons. And, and my Montauk. favorite, Greenport. What? My favorite Greenport. brewery is out there. <laughs> Just a shout out. If anybody like works at Greenport, I really love you guys. <laughs> the the hardy boys apparently lived out there jaws really? and the great gatsby were set on long island and brooklyn and queens are physically part of long island 
So the border between New York City and the rest of Long Island is the border between Queens County and the westernmost county of Long Island, and that's Nassau County. So when we're talking about Nassau County now, we're talking about where Long Island starts and New York City stops. So yes, Meadowmere, Queens, not easy to find. It's surrounded by water on two sides. It's a, a river-like inlet called Head of the Bay. And then Rockaway Boulevard uh, cuts it off from the Five Towns Shopping Center, part of Nassau County, on its third side. So Rockaway Boulevard is what I was saying, is that one skinny strip that connects it to New York City. And we will include a image of the map that, uh, that shows you what Meadowmere is. Yeah, I feel like... Uh, it's such a strange, it's so strange that it's even part of New York and that it's not part of Nassau County. And I really feel like it's just Rockaway Boulevard that makes it part of New York. That's it. That's the only thing. And and because it's, it is in, entirely surrounded by Nassau County, it's, it's like an island of New York City surrounded by Nassau County, except for that one stripe of Rockaway Boulevard. So the interesting thing is it's actually east of Nassau County. Even though Nassau County is this huge, huge area, far to the east of New York City, there's one little bit here that's sort of a switcheroo. There's like a thumb-shaped piece of land of Nassau County, and that is west of Meadowmere. It's very, very strange. It's, it's really hilarious. You'll see it on the map. And that part of Nassau County, that neighborhood is called Meadowmere Park for maximum confusion. Uh, and it's Nassau County, so it's pretty swanky. It's well-maintained. But just next to it is Little Tiny Meadowmere, which is uh, a century-old enclave of fishermen, mechanics, and iron workers. There's a little wooden footbridge. Apparently kids who live there would jump off the footbridge into the water. Gross. <laughs> I guess so. Well, once we get into the um, some of the sewage problems in Meadowmere, yes. you'll probably be saying gross as well. Um, yeah, the two neighborhoods, um, I guess they're kind of called twins, um, not neighborhoods, but Meadowmere Queens and Meadowmere Park are kind of considered twins, hmm. but they're like twins, like the fraternal twins that don't look anything alike. Yes, yes. You, and one is the, the hated redhead child. Right. You, it, it's, it's really sad, uh, mm -hmm. Meadowmere Queens, some of the streets are so small, they're too narrow to be included on the official Queens County map. Uh, and there are four of them, but they're just not on any maps or there are, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know, they're not called avenues, but there are these slightly wider streets that intersect the streets that aren't on the map that just look like these roads that go to nowhere, but they yeah. are connected. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really sad. I mean, it's, it's really remote as we've been talking about. According to the New York Times, um, newspapers can't find it to deliver papers. Yeah, they don't get home delivery. No. Uh, residents also say at some point there was a fire in the neighborhood and New York City firefighters actually couldn't find it. They didn't know, like trying to explain over 911 where your neighborhood is and they have no idea because a lot of it doesn't really doesn't pop up on Google Maps or anything. Yeah, yeah. And Lo Long Island firefighters from Meadowmere Park were the ones that actually responded to the fire. How great is that? They didn't have to. Yeah. It wasn't their area, they but they drove like, across the bridge yeah. and helped. Yeah. Meadowmere, I'm not sure if we, we've let you know, it's tiny. It is teeny tiny. There are only four streets. They're very short. There are 66 residents. There are wow. 24 houses. 
So, yeah, like Kate was saying, they don't have the, uh, you know, the firefighters can't find them. They don't have home delivery of their newspapers. They pay city property taxes, significant city property taxes, but they receive little or no municipal services. Even, um, you know, flooding is very frequent. It was very hard hit by Sandy. Apparently, the flooding was up to eight feet above the street. Even the trash pickup is sort of erratic. And... Worst of all, Kate, why don't you tell us about the, the sewage system oh, right. in Meadowmere? So you know, a moment ago when Kathleen said the boy, you know, boys, that the children would jump off of this footbridge into the water, and I was grossed out, there's a reason. Uh, until 2007, there was no city sewage in Meadowmere, Queens. They were not connected to the city's sewer system. Not at all. They all had septic tanks, which dumped into Jamaica Bay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If a septic tank is old, I think it can malfunction and just sort of overflow. But yeah. Right. Human waste in the bay? Gross. Jamaica Bay? A national park? It's a national park, right? Yeah. I grew yeah. up on a septic tank. Um, oh. My house, where we grew up, didn't have, was rural enough that we didn't have. You were off the grid. Yeah, we were off the grid. No city sewage. Uh, so was it reasonably functional, though? I mean, they have them for a reason, right? For the most part. When it rained, we couldn't fly. I remember we couldn't flush the toilet when it rained. Hmm, okay. So, because it would overflow everywhere. And every year we got a hurricane, our house, usually the septic tank would overflow into the house. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, it's pretty Ugh. gross. Pretty gross. So okay. they were kind of dealing with this down there. And this is in in New York City. This is not... I'm just so floored that a place inside of New York City, as of 2007, didn't Mm -hmm. have sewage. It's astonishing. And that's actually a problem with quite a few of of these neighborhoods, honestly, that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that's going to be kind of a a constant theme with some of these. Yeah. Right. But what happened in 2007? The city finally was like, I think they petitioned, the city finally was like, oh, hey, Meadowmere? Right, you guys are part of our us, right? Okay, yeah, um, yeah, you can have sewage, <laughs> but it was one thing where, like, I mean, it's hard because the city will come in and put in the sewage, but it's the same thing. Um, after I moved away from where I grew up, um, they put in city sewage, but you have to pay like a five thousand five thousand dollars or so. Um, to have it actually hooked up to your house, and a lot of these houses are not in great shape. Um. There's a lot of, po- there's poverty, you know, there's, people don't have $5,000 to hook up their house to city sewage. That's it. That's it. And if they didn't hook up, they were liable to, then they would have to pay some kind of penalty. Right. And, th- you know, there was a deadline and they extended the deadline and the people in Queens are trying to work with them or work out, you know, seek out government grants or payment plans. I mean, I think they're not being completely unreasonable, but I mean, these aren't wealthy people. These yeah. aren't you know, Wall Street types, for sure. So that $5,000, some people were saying up to $10,000. That's Right, depending on the size of your house. That's it, that's it, yeah. So, I mean, great, good to be on the sewage system. Fabulous, wonderful, but... Happy you're not dumping your fecal matter into Jamaica Bay. Thanks for that, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ooh, man, I was pretty, I was pretty traumatized by that. Uh, we, uh... Kathleen and myself will actually be going to the beach this weekend. Yay! And um, I, when I read this, I was like, 
Oh my God. I know we're not going to the, <laughs> like swim in Jamaica Bay, but it just makes you wonder like what's in all of the water. I mean, I think this was part of Bloomberg's plan. You know, we're, we're not huge fans of Bloomberg, but one of his issues was to make all of the water around New York City safe for right. recreational sports. So I think that was the only thing that got the city to move on actually getting sewers out to a part of New York City. And, you know, that might have been the only thing that could motivate it, that, that you know, it finally happened. So so that's a good change. It wasn't even, the, the construction on the sewers wasn't even finished till 2010, four years ago. Amazing. Four years ago. So as of four years ago, you could have still had septic tanks dumping into Jamaica Bay. So our next neighborhood uh, is Hunts Point, which is in the South Bronx. Yep. It is very easy to find. It's easy to see because it is cut off from the rest of the Bronx by the Bruckner Expressway. Yes. And you should not confuse this with a Queens neighborhood called Hunters Point. Very different. Super different. Uh, So this is a neighborhood, as I said, in the South Bronx, which is approximately 690 acres. Now, that number kind of changed depending on the uh, resource I was looking at. But I'm going to go with that, 690. I'm going to stick by it. Uh, If you live in Hunts Point, uh, maybe let me know if it's not 690 acres. Now, Hunts Point was sort of a glamorous place early in its history. Right. It was like a vacation spot. For wealthy people. Yes, it was, it was far, far away from all of, you know, everything was below Wall Street, you know, at, at, at the, around the time that we're talking about. This was settled as early as the 1690s by a couple of colonial families, the Leggetts and the Hunts. And yeah, it had opulent mansions, and it was just yeah, a rural vacation place where the wealthy people could get away from all the filth of the city. Right. It's quite the opposite now, sadly. Uh, the height of this era when the wealthy were flocking to this area is between 1850 and 1900, and that's mm-hmm. kind of really the big boom and the last kind of big boom for the area. And I say that hesitantly because there is industry in the area. Uh, so it's it's not sure. like there's nothing there anymore. It's actually packed full of industry. There's there's quite a few important things that we'll discuss in a minute. Right. Which could be what some people are saying is the problem is the industry. But um, what started all of this is after World War One, a train line was built along Southern Boulevard. Apartment buildings... Really, a lot of this, when apartment buildings start popping up, there's problems. And and that's a shame. Uh, we have, we'll have one instance of a community that kept the apartment buildings out, which will come up later. Uh, street, these meadows and mansions suddenly become replaced with apartment buildings and streets where there really were none before. It was, I feel, I feel like it was this like idyllic area yeah it sounded really beautiful we'll, we'll post a couple of pictures yes and this is before the Bruckner had showed up um but more and more people are moving to the area and like Kate was saying there was significant industrial expansion a lot of businesses are recognizing oh this is a good place to set up 
Right. If you think about it, all the nearby rail lines, and mm-hmm. it's in a great spot for access to the tri-state area, tri-state being Connecticut, New York, New Jersey. And being in the South Bronx, it's super close to Connecticut. It's just the GW away from New Jersey. So really the best spot to set up and, an industrial complex. And at the time, very few people, you know, it, it, was, it had been mansions and meadows before. So there's a ton of space. So. Right. A lot of the industries that take up a lot of space needed space, needed needed that square footage. That's who went there. So there was heavy industry and rail yards, and they just grew along the East River to the south. So some of the industry that moves into the area, uh, you have the New York City Produce Market in 1967, the Huns Point Meat Market in 1974. This is kind of as the meatpacking district is kind of tapering off in Manhattan and phasing out. 1980 sees the designation of Hunts Point as an industrial park, officially. Huge. This thing is huge. There are over 800 businesses. They provide an array of products and services to points all around the world. It's And it's amazing because if you think about um, the shipping that comes into New York through Red Hook and, you know, South Brooklyn, um, Staten Island, if you can just get it up to the Bronx, if you can just get it up to this industrial area, you can send it out anywhere in the world almost. That's it. The industrial park, it, it's just so huge. It can manage huge amounts of, of product. But the problem is nobody wants to live in an industrial area. Don't you want to live in an industrial area, Kate? I have a dream about living in an industrial loft, <laughs> but not surrounded by, like, cattle slaughtering and... Yeah. Well, I don't think they slaughter cattle, but I don't want to live next to a meat processing factory or... It's undesirable. I mean, a fruit market could be cool, but, you know... Yeah, but then you're smelling a lot of rotten fruit. I mean, there's a downside to that, too. Right. And the problem with the industrial area is industrial waste, and you have a lot of trash, especially out on the streets. Uh, mm. And most of the stuff that's being thrown out, if it's organic matter, is not going to smell great. No. It's not ideal for residents. The... And the problem also with the area is because all this industry moves in, and especially when you have 1980, when it's actually considered a industrial park, Mm -hmm. you start having arson. um, There's mass abandonment all the way from the 60s up to the 80s. Just just before we get into that, and there's quite a bit to say, um, one thing that didn't help, and and already not-too-pleasant neighborhood, is between 1956 and 1961 was the construction of Robert Moses' Bruckner Expressway. Our favorite. Yeah, you know, these neighborhoods that get cut off by freeways, that's kind of why this area is isolated, is really because when you look at the map, this area is just completely cut off. There's not a subway to that area. Maybe there's buses that go through it. Right. But it's surrounded by water and an expressway. Yeah. And it's full of industrial businesses lots of lots of industries and now that the area is sort of isolated makes the residents who are there pretty vulnerable to whatever the industries wanted to do with the space and then like kate was saying which is the case of a lot of the rest of the bronx hunts point suffered a severe decline in the 70s and the 80s poverty crime arson and you remember a few episodes ago a crack cocaine quote-unquote epidemic 
caused severe problems and people who could fled. The area lost two-thirds of its population by 1985. Right. Some people estimate 60,000 residents left, fled the area. The people who are left, it becomes, it's, I think it actually still might be the poorest district in the area. Over half of the population lives below the poverty line. And with all of this comes the highest crime rate per capita in New York City. We were just talking about the crack epidemic. And epidemic or no, this area is definitely known for its drug trade and the drug addicts who live in the community to be close to the drug dealers. The drug dealers. Um, Prostitution is also a really big problem there, uh, Mm -hmm. mostly as sadly a way to be able to get the drugs that you need. It's not a great area. In addition, there are some detention centers. Those have always been a part of the landscape in Hunts Point. Uh, Apparently plans for another detention center are in the works. But two of the ones, uh, Spofford Juvenile Center was initially a juvenile detention center, but had been turned into an intake and admissions facility for juveniles, both boys and girls, and a transfer point for state-ready youth. But this was closed in March of 2011. The other one is the Vernon C. Bain Correctional Center, which is an 800-bed barge. Guys, wow. it's a boat, a prison ship. That is, is kind of my nightmare. I know. <laughs> it serves as a holding and temporary processing center. Apparently, the added security of the prison being on water has not prevented at least four attempted escapes. And for what it's worth... This year, 2014, the prison ship was named the world's largest operational prison ship by Guinness Book of World Records. That's kind of a sad thing to have. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that. Hey, guys, but, you know, look, New York has the largest prison ship in the world. Hoorah. In 2005... Hunts Point became the site for New York City's new Fulton Fish Market. That was a big controversy. They really didn't want it to move. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was a huge big deal. Of course, the Fulton Fish Market used to be in downtown Manhattan around Fulton Street, um, South Street Seaport, that area. 55 businesses moved into a huge complex within the Hunts Point Food Distribution Center, which we discussed a second ago. The facility generates an estimated $1 billion in yearly revenue. It allows seafood distributors to store their goods in a temperature-controlled warehouse, has ease of access to New York City, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Um, The facility has better access to major highways than the old one in Manhattan did. This is interesting. It makes no use of its waterfront location. There are no, it doesn't have boats bringing seafood there or away from it. It doesn't use that at all. Um... It only uh, only drives all the fish around out to LaGuardia or to other, uh, you know, restaurants in the area, of course. The downside is that this move didn't really mean more jobs for the residents of Hunts Point. When it opened, then-Mayor Bloomberg said this move brings roughly 600 jobs to Hunts Point. It did. But those people already had jobs. Those people already had jobs. These, these were functioning fish purveyors who were working on the south part of manhattan and then they took their employees with them up to the bronx it you know it didn't really open things up so it didn't really cut down as much on the unemployment in the area as everyone had hoped 
Now, it's not all bad news for Hunts Point. There are tons of nonprofits operating in this section of South Bronx. There's, there's been a lot of work on the South Bronx. They're the trying really years, so. hard to clean up the South Bronx. They really are. They're, I'm just going to name them. I won't go into detail about them because there's just too many nonprofits. But the Hunts Point Economic Development Corporation, Periscolis Incorporated, Sustainable South Bronx, the Point Community Development Corporation, Rocking the Boat, where they teach kids how to build and sail boats. I was so fascinated by that when I went to their website. (laughs) I almost wanted to be like, can I like volunteer for these people? It just sounds like such a great program. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, City Year, Legal Aid Society, Bronx Neighborhood Office, Mothers on the Move, and Iridescent and South Bronx Overall Economic Development Corporation. There's a lot of religious groups who are active there, including Youth Ministries for Peace and Justice, Children's Bible Fellowship, that's sponsored by the Revolution Church, and there's one church in particular, the Real Life Church. They have fed over 1,200 people in two years on Thanksgiving Day, which is kind of sad that it was necessary, but wonderful that they exist and that they do that. So I don't want to say things are turning around, but people are aware of the problems and are working to solve it. Uh, My last bit about Hunts Point, there are a couple of famous people who came from there. Herman Walk, author of like The Winds of War, actor Tony Curtis, and former Secretary of State Colin Powell is from Hunts Point. Ah, that's pretty great. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. So what's our next area, Kate? Well, our next isolated area of New York City, we're going all the way over to Willits Point in Queens, which has the lowest population of any of these neighborhoods that we're going to talk about today this is going to blow your mind guys i'm gonna yeah you you think you know like you're like oh what there's like a hundred people living there no there's one man who is one (laughs) resident one by resident i mean someone who actually lives there full time joseph ardizone right he lives above one of the area restaurants um, and I have a little bit more on him, but we'll, when we get into a little more later, I'll I'll tell you a bit more about him. Uh, Willits Point is the area of Queens immediately east of City Field. So it's bordered by the Flushing River. Uh, it's been nicknamed the Iron Triangle due to all these scrapyards and auto body shops. Guys, there are 225 auto body shops Amazing. there. And there's, I'll, we'll put some pictures up. It is just one after another after another for blocks and blocks and blocks. Right. But the thing with these auto body repair shops is that it's, it's very, it's, it is a community. They don't live there, but they all work there. And you have guys who specialize in one thing. So... Mm. Pretty much only guys. Yeah, pretty much. I think there's one, I, I read something about one woman who goes around in a food truck feeding people. Right, she sells sandwiches. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the extent of the female population of Willits Point. Uh, but these guys, yeah, and, and they will quote you a price on the street and they will do anything to get you to come into their auto body shop. Um, but you have the guy who's like specializes in windshields and the guy who specializes in your muffler and... Now, this place is pretty grim. They have no sidewalks, no curbs. There are no stoplights. No sewers. No street signs. No sewage system. No, the subway does not go there. And the streets, 
it's amazing. If you can see the streets in any of these pictures of Willets Point, we'll have some of those. If you can see them, if they happen to be not flooded at the time, they're like a patchwork quilt of potholes right. and asphalt and potholes in asphalt. And it's the city stopped maintaining them years ago. And, of course, the flooding is... Right. It's definitely been abandoned by the city for years. They just kind of ignore it. It's come back lately into the limelight Uh after the new city field was built, then there's like this resurgence of what can we do to fix Willits Point? Yeah, we'll get into that. It's interesting. But uh, I do want to say that Willits Point has been described as being post-apocalyptic. I was just going to say that. I love that quote. So for the second Great Gatsby reference, if you're keeping track on this episode, if you know the book well, uh, the area that he calls the Valley of Ashes is supposed to be this area. I never knew where that was. They would talk about it and I would, I, am, I live in New York. What on earth are they talking about? So yeah, I learned something new. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool. So if you can drum up that imagery from your high school reading, it's, this is the area that he's talking about. It really has not changed over time. Uh, it actually began as a, a swampland, the Flushing Creek Swampland. Uh, but it's, uh, so it's history. It never had like this, the rich go here. It went from being swampland to being a municipal dump and then evolved into a salvage yard and finally into the part shops that exist to today that we've discussed. A lot of junkyards, a lot of part shops, a lot of, you'll see stacks and stacks of doors and fenders and even this was cute a couple of robots made out of leftover car parts that's awesome together (laughs) i know (laughs) several times you know there's been a lot of talk about trying to fix willett's point for years Uh, and years it has been the goal of nearly every mayor since the 1950s right sports franchises are always trying to move into the area but doesn't work out Uh, i don't know Uh if anybody remembers the jets in 1983 were going to possibly relocate here but obviously they stayed in new jersey it was a proposed area for the olympics when bloomberg was pushing for it what's that i forget did we get those Olympics? No, the 2012 London, summer? Did that London work out got for us? it. Yeah, London got oh, London. it. London, yeah. that's right. That's yeah. right. We didn't. It didn't yeah. happen. I don't know if you remember. Robert Moses, one of our favorites. Oh yeah. Called the area an eyesore and a disgrace to the borough of Queens. Whoa. Yeah. He did want to incorporate it into his World's Fair, Flushing Meadows, Corona Park. I love this. It didn't work out. Do you know why it didn't work out, Kate? Yes, because the junkyard owners hired Mario Cuomo mm-hmm. and won. They, I believe, are the only case other than like the Brooklyn Heights Historical Association who managed to to win, defeat, to beat Robert Moses. Everyone should listen to those episodes. They're good. Yes, please. If you've got, you know, it's summertime. You guys need something to do on the beach. (laughs) Just check out our Robert Moses. It'll take you most of a day. Uh, Yes. So, but now they, again, are trying to clean up Willits Point and they want to put a shopping mall out there, I believe. Mm. Shopping mall, convention center, parking for City Field, hotels, and condos. And so our one resident of Willits Point, 
uh, <laughs> actually goes out in a Revolutionary War uniform to protest the city's use of eminent domain. I think that's pretty fantastic. He's in his 80s at this point. I hope he's a listener. That would be pretty amazing. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah, it, it's true. In uh, On April 9th of 2008, the Willits Point Industry and Realty Association, a group of 10 of the largest businesses and landowners in Willits Point, filed a lawsuit against the city of New York seeking a court order to require them to provide some infrastructure improvements, repairs to the streets and the storm sewers, installation of sanitary sewers, streetlights, street signs, and other services. The judge, Judge Edward R. Corman, granted the city's motion to dismiss this lawsuit in 2009. So that didn't happen. But the trying to fix it up and redevelopment is is always heavily on everyone's mind and at the moment last i checked the city actually owns 95 percent of the land in willits point yeah the uh the auto repair shops and the scrapyards rent their space from the city so at the moment so far they haven't used eminent domain yet because they don't have to right right they've they've paid business owners for the land and the business owners continue to exist and and rent out the land but obviously at some point everything's going to be bulldozed and built up so it's 62 acres in new york city and urban renewal will be replacing the scrapyards and the industrial sites with sustainable and affordable mixed-use development it's i feel sad like i i actually would like to put a link there's a great article that i found on new york times the end of willits Mm. point which gives you the perspective of the people who run their businesses there and i kind of get behind them i totally i mean i know the place is an eyesore but i understand where these people are coming from this neighborhood is their livelihood yeah, it's it's a lot of people who work there don't have a whole lot of other options. I think one of the quotes in that article was, it's a great place for men who can make a living from their hands, but not much else. And you can learn that skill. And for people who got to feed their families and may or may not be here legally, this is this is how you start. It's, it's in an area like this, cash-only transactions. You do work. And to have that taken away... They don't have a whole lot of other options. So the city has put aside $3.5 million to pay the vacating businesses' rent, to pay their rent at their new location. Um, people who move out by November 30th get a year's worth of rent. If they move out in January 31st, they get six months' worth of rent. So it's, you know, move, 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 go, go, go. They are providing $9 million to help with relocation costs. But as the business owners explain in this article, that's not even close. That's very insufficient and even once you move your business even if you do find a comparable building and location and stuff then you have to rebuild your relationships with new clients again you pretty much have to start from scratch so a lot of those businesses are just going to fold yeah uh critics of the plan say at least 1,700 workers stand to lose their livelihood it's it's incredibly sad i feel like there's got to be a way to I don't know, redevelop the area without losing what it is. But I just, I don't have an answer for how to do that. 
That's it. I think it's very similar to all the slum clearance work that Robert Moses did, where they got rid of the tenements, and the tenements were horrible places to live. Definitely. And they built public housing, which are not great, but at least they're, you know, well-built and (laughs) structurally sound. But where do the people go in the meanwhile? And you destroy communities and families and neighborhoods. I mean, it's so hard. There are so many... variables so many factors i yeah i'm with you i I can't think of a better solution i don't know if there is a better solution so this willits point project this urban renewal whenever it starts uh will include housing and out of that 35 percent will be affordable housing uh this will be built as part of the second phase of the project these housing units will be a total of 1,000 affordable units that's going to be accessible through the van wick expressway so I don't know all the details about this, but what it sounds like to me is they are building public housing for people who require public housing and also own cars. Yeah, I I don't know how that's supposed to work out. And affordable housing in New York, I always put like a quote around that. I'm not too sure (laughs) what affordable housing is in New York. I mean, I feel like that's subsidized. I feel like it's public Housing. Not all of it. There's subsidized oh, public okay. housing and then there's quote unquote affordable housing that's meant for, I guess, middle class. I'm not too sure how they quantify what affordable is, but mm-hmm. there's always these affordable housing lotteries, which they're supposed to get rid of. But it's I, I, you're always in this weird like, do I make too much? Do I make too little? Like, how do you get into these apartments? I, I have no idea. Maybe we'll do a little research and have a link for you. On Maybe we should have just an episode on affordable housing. Ah, the next A. So if you're keeping track, this will be our third point neighborhood and uh, fourth isolated area in New York. We are, of course, talking about the lovely Breezy Point in Queens. Breezy Point, which is kind of the best name of all of these. It is. I don't know. I'm okay with most of the name, like Willits, Hunts Point, those the, the names are okay, but Breezy Point just makes me think of the ocean and the beach. Yeah, and it should because this area this area is surrounded on all but one side with water, the Atlantic and Jamaica Bay, uh, and then on the other side is the Gateway National Recreation Area, which includes Fort Tilden and Jacob Rees beaches yeah it is it's basically a peninsula right it is so if you're looking at jamaica bay there's the spit that comes out along the bottom of jamaica bay this is at the very very end of that that's this area uh called breezy point uh has the second highest irish american population in the entire country uh, oh, wow. Yeah, wow. 60.3%. The only other area that gets higher is a place in Massachusetts. It has like 65%. Wow. Uh, there used to be a lot more uh, Irish descendants, but they different, I'd like, I want to say different ethnicities have moved in, but I should let you know that 97% of the population of this area is white, and I'll get into why that is in just a moment. Uh, this area is also called the Irish Riviera. Yeah, after Hurricane Sandy, this area was hit really badly. Um, And Ireland actually donated money to... What? Yeah, to help restore the area. So Breezy Point was where all the fires were, right? Exactly, exactly. That that was 
one a terrible story at Sandy, but that fires broke out and just went from house to house to house. And it's not an easy way to it's not an easy area to get to. The only way to get out there is by Rockaway Point Boulevard. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's the only way you can get out there. One road in. Yep. And it was so incredibly flooded after Hurricane Sandy that New York City firefighters couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. to stop the fires and there are um local it's actually one of the only areas in the city that actually has a volunteer firefighting unit they were on hand to stop some of the fire but really this area was devastated after sandy and most of the homes out in breezy point were flooded and pretty much all of them were damaged to some extent or destroyed just because of the incredibly high waters that sandy brought to this neighborhood and we'll put up a map so you can kind of see where this uh neighborhood is as well and when you look Mm -hmm. at it you can just imagine jamaica bay and the atlantic ocean coming up together and meeting in this community, uh, there were, I think I read at some point, there were like eight feet of floodwaters out there. Oh, my Lord. I mean, like like all the, the beach areas in the city. Yeah, they, they were, they're low lying and they're the most vulnerable to flooding. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this area, so to go into a little bit about the area, this area is maintained by the Breezy Point Cooperative. All residents must pay maintenance. Uh, which includes security and costs associated in keeping the community private. Kathleen, if you drive... What does that mean? Yeah. What? I'll go, well, if you drive... Let's say on Friday we had a car and we wanted to drive out to Breezy Point to go to the beach. You can get a pass that lets you park in certain areas, but be careful because they will tow your car so fast if you're in the wrong spot. The majority of the people there are not residents. They live their part of the year. They're it's summer, your summer residents. But they're still considered locals. Uh, after the summer, there are still about 4,000 residents year-round. Uh, the area is a 500-acre community. Um, and though the cooperative owns the entire area, uh, residents buy, you actually own your own home, but you just own a share in the cooperative as well. How strange. There's no other area like that, right? No, it's kind of weird. And they have their own private security force. I wouldn't call them police, but they have their own security out there. And the security is mostly for um, their private entity. They restrict the access to locals, their guests, and renters. How is that even legal, though? I mean, you might not know, but that sounds sketchy like they're a private the whole area is privately owned technically Mm -hmm. it's all privately owned so it can just be one of those no trespassing and they can just because they technically the whole the town not the town but the community owns because they're a co-op they own the entire area and so they can put no trespassing signs up everywhere because they own everything they own the streets they own everything now, Kathleen, if you're thinking about buying a house there, you actually have to be recommended by three residents and <gasps> approved by the board of directors. So it's like a co-op. If you wanted to buy a co-op, you would have to... Right, but this is if you want to buy a house. <laughs> wow. This is weird. And this is why it's 97% white. <laughs> and it just got weirder. 
And it just got weirder. Yeah, it's very strange. It actually began as summer beach bungalows back in the early 1900s. It's kind of just kind of kept that feel through the years. Um, Development increased and then stopped at about 3,500 homes. We have been talking about how apartments come into areas and change the dynamic. Apartment buildings were actually starting to be constructed in the 1960s. Another corporation came in and bought some property that hadn't been bought up by the co-op. But the co-op went and got a city ordinance to get them to stop. Wow. And the apartment buildings never went up. And then I think in 1976, they were demolished. So they have kept everyone out. Weird. It's kind of strange. I'm like fascinated, but a little creeped out by it. Yeah. I did try to visit it once and the road in was just absolutely, it was like a parking lot. The traffic was horrible. And I don't know where everyone was going because apparently there's nowhere to park down there. So I actually cheated because I have a motorcycle. So I just rode along the shoulder. And even then it was just so far out there. I wasn't even stuck in traffic and I just turned around. I gave up. I was like, I'll go to another beach. I don't care. I actually had an invite to go to a beach club out there. And I went one time, but it was weird. It was so weird. Mm. People were like, every so often someone would ask me, like, who are you a guest of? And I would like (gasps) point. I was with a friend who was friends with someone. And so I would point at my group and they'd be like, oh, great. You know, so-and-so, you must know so-and-so. And And I was like, I don't know anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was very, very strange and kind of. I don't. I want to say like Stepford wife ish. Wow. I, very very strange. No offense to anybody who lives out there, but <laughs> it's just not somewhere I could live. I think you offended them. Obviously, because I don't have three people who could recommend me. Right, right. It, it is best to not even dream of living in such a place where it is nearly impossible to go. You're Irish, though. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I don't want diversity. Yeah, yeah. That's. Wow, I had no idea. I thought it was just this tiny little community way out at the end of the of the peninsula. Unbelievable. Well, now, now you know. If you get your card in the mail, Kathleen, mm-hmm. since you're Irish as well, Irish American, mm-hmm. you should just tear it up. Tear <laughs> it up. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go on to our last um, isolated area in New York. It is not a point nope, at all. Not a point. Not even close. But it used to be. It used to be a point of land, mm-hmm. and it used to be an and island. And then it was. It would have. Uh, and then it was an under, island. It would have fallen under our our last eye episode of islands. But this one, this is so strange, so weird. You're just gonna have to take our word for it, unless of course you live here and you know about this already. But this is the only area of New York City that legally belongs to one borough but geographically belongs to another. My mind was blown when I read that. <laughs> and this is called Marble Hill. Exactly. Uh, it's technically a part of Manhattan because it used to be connected to Manhattan, but right now it's connected landwise to the Bronx. Marble Hill actually used to stick up like a thumb, which we'll have to put a map because you will not believe it when you see it yeah marble hill used to stick up like a thumb into the bronx and then there was a creek that went around the top of marble hill that separated it from the bronx and that was the water border in between the top of manhattan and the bottom of the bronx exactly 
But this land configuration made it really hard for ships to pass through. So once the whole Hellgate area was kind of taken care of, Mm -hmm. go back to a previous podcast. You could listen to episode H. Of last time around, from the first season. they, They needed to get these ships through. So they dug the Harlem Canal. And then for a while, it was just like an island, which I kind of wish it still was. It would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. The the Army Corps of Engineers were like, we're not going to go up around this thumb of land anymore. We're going to cut through a canal. It's going to cut off a neighborhood, but you're still Manhattan. Well, okay, that's fine. And yeah, we do have, there is an old subway map that actually has Marble Hill drawn as an island. Just off the top edge of Manhattan, we'll include that image on the Facebook page. And yeah, so it was just like Roosevelt Island, where it's an island, but it's part of Manhattan until 1914. Right. So 1895 is when the canal is dug, which kind of blows my mind that they could dig out that. If you go and you see it's quite wide, the, they dug the canal. I just, even now, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. But yeah. over 100 years ago, I have no idea how they would have done it but they needed to have it there and they made it happen you know the army corps of engineer can do it they actually fill in the original creek bed and all of a sudden marble hill is part of the bronx but not really it is physically connected to the borough of the bronx and it is the only part of manhattan that is physically part of the north american mainland manhattan's an island most of it's just surrounded by water Marble Hill is the only neighborhood that is on the mainland. It's pretty amazing. It really is. It really and there's still Manhattan. There has there has never never been any legislation or or anything. It's it's was Manhattan. It is Manhattan. The area, so just to go back in time a little bit, the area has actually been occupied since the original Dutch colonial settlement here in New York. And I'm going to butcher these names, but I'm going to try really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the original land claim was granted in 1646 to Matthias Jansen van Kuglin. Hayuk Artsen uh, were the original. It was farm. Uh, I'm sure beautiful area. If you've been to that part of the Bronx, Manhattan, I'm sure originally it was rolling hills. It was quite lovely. It is. There's cliffs, these rock faces. It's really It's gorgeous now, even. I mean, it says hill. Hill is in the name. It's a hilly area. Mm -hmm. And Marble Hill's name actually comes from, in 1891, there were local deposits of dolomite marble under it. And the marble was actually quarried for the federal buildings in Lower Manhattan when New York was the capital of the United States in the 1780s. Uh, If you would like to go to Marble Hill... The IRT subway, which is now called the number one train, uh, it opened there in 1906. The Metro North goes there too. And I've passed this station many times and not thought about it. It's the Marble Hill Station on Mm. the Hudson Line. Yeah, yeah. There are two ways to get there, two major train lines, which makes Marble Hill very different from the rest of the isolated areas we've spoken about. The other ones, maybe a bus goes there, but at least in the case of Marble Hill, Super easy to get to. The only isolation is the fact that it is separate isolated from Manhattan. Isolated from Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. The area is 75.7 acres. Today, there's a population of 8,463. The majority of the houses on the island, they're built before World War I. Uh, there's 138 Queen Victoria 
and Queen Anne style houses. It looks so beautiful. I actually went there once. Uh, this is one that I've been to. The oldest building is considered to be St. Stephen's Methodist Episcopal Church, built in 1897, uh, but the congregation dates back to 1826. On March 11th, 1939, as a publicity stunt, Bronx Borough President James J. Lyons, and I want you to remember his name, you're going to need it later, James J. Lyons planted the Bronx County flag on a rocky promontory at 225th Street in Jacobus Place, he proclaimed Margot Hill as part of the Bronx and demanded the subservience of its residents to the Bronx, saying it was the Bronx Sudetenland. He was hilariously referring to Hitler's 1938 annexation of a region of Czechoslovakia. Uh, the incident, quite rightly, was met with booze and nose thumbing by the 50 residents. I love the nose thumbing part. They thumbed their noses at him so hard. What a... I mean, I get that a Bronx person might be like, this is Bronx now, but why yeah. pretend to be Hitler when you do that? That's not a, that's not a winning approach. Um, residents of the neighborhood wished to remain residents of Manhattan, and petitions and signatures were gathered. They sent them to the governor. These ensured that Marble Hill would remain part of Manhattan, and in 1984, apparently, the matter was settled. It took that long, I guess. And the New York le legislature passed legislation declaring the neighborhood part of Manhattan. So that means the people who live there, when they get jury duty, they have to go down to lower Manhattan, fully square. They have uh, represented by the offices of the City Council District 10 Manhattan. They are also represented by both elected officials from Manhattan and from the Bronx. So they are part of the political district that's northern Manhattan. They're them and uh, Washington Heights and Inwood are these areas uh, at the northern part of Manhattan. That's their political district. But their city services do come from the Bronx. They get the fire department, for example, uh, because it's more convenient, it's safer. Let's not be ridiculous about this. And there's only one connection to Manhattan, which is a lift bridge, the Broadway Bridge. So it makes sense that their firefighters are Bronx firefighters. Right. And all the mail goes to a Bronx 104 prefix in its zip code. Mm -hmm. They have a, a Bronx-like zip code. Yeah. Exactly. Mail can be addressed to either New York, New York, or Bronx, New York. It'll mm -hmm. still get there either way. Marble Hill actually fought for a long time for the prestigious 212 area code, yeah. which uh, to New York City residents know that's that used to be Manhattan's only uh, area code. Right. I mean, it used to be New York City. Then in 1984, right. they were like, okay, 212 is only Manhattan. We need 718 for... Brooklyn, the Queens, and Staten Island. And then they added them right. in 1992. Marble Hill really wanted to stick with 212 because they are Manhattan. Um, but nope, they're 718. Right. It was too much. All the lines were already connected in the Bronx, and it was too much work to get them to connect into Manhattan. So they were like, you know what? Suck it, guys. And that makes sense. Here's I mean, that is, that is a practical explanation for why. It's the same as the firefighters, in my opinion. It just makes more sense yeah. for this particular feature to be a Bronx area code instead of a Manhattan area code. 
Well, to go back to our favorite James Lyons, on the 75th anniversary of his protest, the, my favorite, my new favorite group, <laughs> the, the great and glorious Grand Army of the Bronx proclaimed, mm-hmm. and I quote, no longer must you suffer the spoiled ramblings of the effete bourgeois and the ever-encroaching menace of hipsterdom. The, their leader, Isaac Moore, said they should declare their loyalty to the mightiest, most glorious, and obviously most handsome borough and county of the Bronx. Yes, they promised the Manhattanites of Marble Hill. So to the 8,463 Manhattanites, they promised affordable-ish rents, humanely priced coffee at old-time coffee shops, good music, great food, and real bars. Right, and they proceeded to immediately leave and go to the Bronx Beer Hall. Yes. And they, now, they didn't convince anybody. It didn't work. Because three days later, uh, Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer, she shot down the group's efforts. Uh, she said, on the 75th anniversary of its would-be annexation by the Bronx, I am happy to declare that the flag that flies over Marble Hill is still that of the Manhattan Archipelago. Brewer told the Daily News. Uh, Like the bodies of water separating Manhattan's other far-flung possessions, Governor's Island, Roosevelt Island, Randall's Island, the Harlem Ship Canal is no obstacle to the ties that bind Manhattanites. I love that they're talking about saving them from hipsterdom. Yes. And we'll try to put up a picture of these guys. Mm. They kind of all look like hipsters. That's the thing. I love the Grand Army. I love the idea of it, but... They're all wearing beards and flannel and drinking microbrews and talking about reasonably priced coffee. Come on, guys. You're right up yeah. there with the rest of the hipsters. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. I do love anybody who has that much love for their borough, you know? I, I that's that's great. But And their attention to detail. It was the seventy fifth anniversary and they and they went and, and re react reenacted this this strange funny uh, publicity stunt for the it's love of their borough. Fun. I think it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck guys, maybe in the future, but probably not. Okay. Well, uh thank you for tuning in to our latest episode about mm-hmm. isolated areas of New York. Feel free to leave us a few more isolated areas that you may know about that we missed on our Facebook page. Definitely. Hope you learned something you didn't know before. Oh, uh, yeah, we hope every time you learn something a little more. Uh <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Talk to you next time, folks. Bye. Bye. I wish you were standing here as Broadway opens up her arms when the crimson skyline bruises like and lights up like a favorite song. For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, www.abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. Music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved. I wish you could be here with me on this night of New York City. Burp, 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 burp,